Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Hayes. And this week, we're excited to bring you some more conversations with candidates and about the elections that are coming up on May 22nd. Our first guest this week is Blake Odd. He's the news editor at Flagpole Magazine, and he's been a longtime reporter of local politics in Athens, Georgia. He's joining Peach Pod today to talk about the races for mayor and commission in Athens. So Athens will elect a new mayor and about half the seats on, on the commission are being challenged during this cycle. Um, and Blake joined us to set the table for these races and tell us a little bit about the people who are running uh, to be the next mayor and serve on the next commission in Athens. And then our second conversation this week is with Ethan Pham. He's a Democratic candidate for the 7th Congressional District. This is a district that's currently held by Rob Woodall, who's a Republican. And Ethan joined the show to tell us a little bit about his campaign and what he would like to do if he became a member of Congress from the 7th Congressional District. And then our final conversation this week is with Twitty Titus. She's a Democrat running for House District 173. This is in our state legislature. And House District 173 is near Thomasville in southwest Georgia. Twitty and I had a great conversation about the issues that are facing southwest Georgia. And I think it's important that the challenges that are facing rural Georgia right now are not lost while a lot of the action in elections is taking place in the metro Atlanta area. Um, So don't forget, elections are coming up May 22nd. In Athens, these elections are going to be the final round of elections. So when you're voting, uh, either in early voting right now or on May 22nd, you are voting for the people who will be your new mayor and commissioner. As for Ethan Pham, he's running in the Democratic primary, which takes place on May 22nd. And so the winner of that race is either going to take on Rob Woodall or possibly a conservative insurgent named Shane Hazel if he was to defeat Woodall on the Republican side in their primary. Um, So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Blake Odd to tell us about the elections coming up in Athens. All right. So we're now joined by Blake Odd. He's a uh, reporter and editor at Flagpole Magazine in Athens. And uh, Blake, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, so could you just start with kind of an overview of, of what's going on in the mayor's race? Our our listeners have heard from Richie Knight and we're uh, in this batch of interviews, we're going to air conversations with uh, Gertz and Sims too. But could you just kind of set for our listeners like, what uh, the setup is between these three candidates in this race? Well, one of the candidates, two of the candidates uh, have been county commissioners for many years. Uh, one of them, Kelly Gertz, I think has been on the commission for about uh, 11 years now. And uh, Harry Sims, who uh, recently resigned so that his seat could be replaced in the same uh, cycle as the mayor's race. Uh, he has served on the commission since 1993. Uh, so you've got two people who have a lot of experience in local politics, and then of course uh, Richie Knight, who has, um, you know, served on a few boards or whatever, but really has no experience in, in elective politics or campaigning, and uh, you know is primarily uh, running on his experience as a businessman. Uh, so kind of the layout is that uh, Kelly Gertz is generally the more progressive candidate, I guess you would say, and this is a progressive city. It's a liberal city. It's you know sixty. 65, 68% Democrat, um, you know, voted about 50-50 uh, between um, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton uh, in the presidential primary. Uh, so, you know, d- very Democratic, fairly liberal. 
Um, you know, Kelly's probably the candidate is sort of out there a little more to the left. Harry uh, is a little more conservative, um, more of a status quo guy. We've had a fairly conservative mayor here for the past eight years, and Harry Sims is generally viewed as being a, kind of a continuation of, I guess, uh, Nancy Benson's administration. Uh, and Richie Knight is uh, more of a libertarian type, I would say, generally pretty liberal on social issues. Um, you know, he's gay. He's you know, for LGBTQ rights, um, uh, wants to, uh, as Gertz does, wants to start a, uh, a civil rights commission that would look into instances of discrimination in the city. Uh, but economically, I'd say he's probably the furthest to the right of all three of the candidates. He's very critical of the government. Um, says that the that the local government is not friendly to business, you know, that they're driving away business, which um the other two candidates really strongly dispute um that that's the case. Um and so what are the some of the significant issues that are dividing these candidates in this race? I can't say that there's really one issue that stands out. Uh some of the topics that have gotten a lot of attention have been um affordable housing where as in a lot of cities Athens uh, housing is getting more and more expensive at Athens, and increasingly lower and uh, even middle class people can't afford to buy a home in Athens, and um, it's really becoming a problem. A lot of the development that's happened uh, over the past six or eight years has been uh, very expensive luxury student apartment housing. Not a lot has been built for you know just kind of the average person, you know, teachers or you know police officers, people like that. Uh, so they're kind of being driven out of the county, really, by the housing prices, and you know, not not just them, but also um, the musicians and the artists and the writers and the creative people, um, you know, who really took advantage of the cheap rent in Athens, you know, back in back in the 80s and 90s, and it really put the city on the map. So that's all kind of going away in, in large part. So that's been a big issue, uh, gentrification, you know, which is a related issue, has drawn a lot of conversation. Uh, we're starting to see more. You know, this this hasn't really historically been an issue, but you know, issues of uh, social justice and equity have been coming up a lot lately, and that's probably part of the more national conversation. But you know, we're we're finally grappling with a lot of things that we should have been grappling with as a city for a very long time uh, in terms of race relations, and and that all sort of does factors into these issues of housing and infrastructure and other things uh, that are being talked about. Athens for Everyone is a group that's kind of emerged as a pretty significant political force in the Athens community in uh, recent years. Um, so what's your take on how that group is influencing this mayor's race? Would would this be a lot different of a mayor's race if they did not exist? I will say that I think they've they've definitely pushed the conversation to the left very successfully. Um whether the race would be much different, you know, in terms of the particular people running, I, I don't really think their positions have been influenced. So I think the race would probably be about the same. But I think the conversation as a whole has probably moved to the left uh, in large part because of Athens for everyone. Um, and one thing in particular, you know, I mean, they, they have a lot of supporters, but they have a lot of distractors too. And I think one thing they the, probably the most specific way that you see their influence in the race is that uh, Harry Sims, you know, who I mentioned is, you know, generally a pretty moderate conservative candidate has really been feuding with them and kind of using them as a foil, uh, which I think is kind of interesting. 
is there a backlash in uh, Athens politics to like the rule of Mayor Nancy Denson? I I can remember um, just sort of vaguely from when I lived there that there was some frustration about her being a more conservative Democrat, kind of an older school Democrat. Um, So is there the potential in either this mayor's race or these commission races to have a kind of a consolidation of more progressive power among the Athens for everyone type candidates? Uh, I think so. Definitely. Yeah. There has been a backlash. I think Mayor Denson is a lot less popular now than she was when she was reelected with 60% of the vote, uh, four years ago. Um, so I do think that's driving it. I think there's just there's so much pent up energy, um, and a lot of this relates to you know really the national election in 2016 too, and people are just becoming they have become much more frustrated and alarmed. I think not only in the direction that the country is going in, but the direction of the city, and are paying a lot more close attention not only to national politics but local politics as well. Um, you know, we've, we usually have very low turnout in local elections, but I would expect that to really increase quite a bit. Uh, this May. So I, I do think there's a backlash. You know, it's been eight years really of nothing. You know, all the problems that we discussed with poverty, poverty, transportation, you, nothing really has been done, you know, and they just keep getting worse and worse. And so I think people are really looking, a lot of voters are really looking for someone who is going to take action, you know, because Mayor Denson really has been known for more what she's prevented from happening than what she's actually done. And so if if that kind of backlash turns into you know electoral success, do do any of the candidates in this race, like particularly Gertz, does he have kind of a fundamentally different view about you know policy in the city addressing these issues like poverty? Would there be a big shift in where this city is headed if uh, you know if Gertz is elected over the more conservative candidates? Yeah, I think there would be, and he he knows he knows a lot about policy. Um, he's a really kind of wonky wonky guy uh, who really digs into policy, and he understands policy. And I think that he would be the kind of person too who would know how to use the power of the mayor's office in order to implement that policy and push it through. Um, because the way that the government is structured, things tend to come come from the staff, from the bureaucracy, and they come up and they are voted on by the commission. Um, but I think you would see more of a top-down uh, approach with with Gertz. You recently reported on a change that Athens Clark Sheriff Ira Edwards made in terms of his policy in dealing with undocumented immigrants and ICE and in terms of holding those immigrants for um, on ICE detainers. Um, is that an issue that's kind of popped up in this race between any of these candidates in the mayor's race or the commission race? Oh, yeah, several times. Uh, but it's it's not so much of an issue anymore because the sheriff actually recently rescinded that policy. So that's sort of been taken off the table as an issue. Uh, but people are still very concerned about uh, immigrants' rights. How do we protect the undocumented people who are in our community, who are our friends and neighbors? Um, that is definitely a concern of the voters still. And then, and then another thing that I've kind of noticed in you know our coverage of of state politics and 
um, in looking at the relationship between like local governments and state governments nationally is that a lot of like more progressive local governments have this issue where state conservative state governments are passing preemption laws that keep the, keep local governments from making certain decisions on on various issues. Is that something that's come up in this race, or or are there any other issues where Atlanta looms large for uh, the voters in Athens? Oh, definitely. I, I think you know the immigration debate would be um, would be one example uh, where you know we we have a we have a police force and law enforcement that really try to do their best. Um, to have good relations with the immigrant community and they're not interested in enforcing federal immigration law. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's kind of a, there's kind of a straight up, well, you know, let's kind of keep this quiet. Let's not talk about too much. We don't want to get anybody's attention. We don't want to get on ICE's radar. We don't want to get on uh, the radar of the Republicans in Atlanta at the Capitol. Um, you know, we're not officially a sanctuary city or anything like that, but you know, we do, um, uh, and the school district as well as policies that, you know, try to uh, protect those vulnerable people. Uh, another, another example would probably be uh, wages. Um, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people here would like to see uh, the minimum wage raised at the national, state, or local level. Uh, we have a 27% poverty rate here in Athens among full-time residents, not including college students. If you put them in there, it goes up to 36 or 38%. Uh, so we have a and we have an unemployment rate of only 5%, so you, we know there are jobs that just don't pay very well. Um, and part of that is due to the university really kind of keeping wages down. So uh, that's sort of a two-pronged thing. You know, number one, we need the state to give people who work for the university raises, so that will bring up the wages of other uh, people who work for other employers in the community. Uh, number two, the, the, uh, the state legislature passed a law probably about 15 years ago in response to Atlanta trying to raise the minimum wage. Uh, that said that cities can't do that. So the candidates I know are getting a lot of questions about raising the minimum wage, and that's something that, you know, is not even on the table for us. So let's talk a little bit about some of the commission races involved in this, too. Could you just give us kind of a lay of the land of um, which of these races are competitive and, and interesting? It's hard to tell. Uh, one thing. One thing I will say is that they're all contested, which is amazing. Um, I don't think I've ever seen this before, but you know, every every incumbent is being challenged. There's six seats up. Um, you know, the open seats have multiple candidates, and uh, that's just kind of a testament to the renewed interest in, in local politics that we're seeing here in Athens. Uh, some of them kind of break down the way that most commission races have broken down um, since I've been covering Athens, which is usually there's one more uh, progressive candidate, liberal candidate, who's usually in, in the local uh, in the local terms. Usually means that um, you want to be pickier about development. Um, you know, you favor uh, alternative transportation, bike lanes, sidewalks, things of that nature. And then there's another more conservative candidate that's just sort of like, let people build whatever they want. If it brings jobs, I don't care. They can do what they want. So there are a couple of those, um, and they're nonpartisan races. So a lot of times it's really it's difficult for people to tell. They want to know. You know it's hard to pin, harder to pin the candidates down that way sometimes. Um, but another phenomenon that we're seeing in this election cycle is that you have really staunchly progressive incumbents who – Athens for everyone, or you know, people uh, who share those views, 
those progressive views are running against progressive incumbents. So, you know, usually that's not um, that's not a policy difference. That's usually more of a style difference. I mean, we've got a couple races uh, like uh, Jared Bailey in District Five. Tim Denson is running against him. Tim found an Athens for everyone. And I don't think you could find really any kind of disagreement between them. You know, Tim's whole argument is basically that Jared is too quiet <laughs> and that he would, you know, he would speak up more on behalf of these policies. Uh, there's another race where there's an incumbent named Melissa Lake who's running against a guy who's been uh, involved in local politics kind of behind the scenes for many years named Tony Eubanks. And Tony's making the opposite argument that Melissa's too loud and she doesn't get along with anybody. Uh, so, you know, that's really what those two races are about. There, There's no policy difference whatsoever. It's all personality. And is that so has it gotten heated between any of these candidates with these you know differences falling maybe more along personality than than policy in some of these races? Uh, I, I think it's been fairly civil so far. You know, there there's you're starting to there's starting to be some whisper campaigns. The mayor's campaigns get a little getting a little nasty here in the past week or two, I think, but the, the commission races, I think, have been fairly civil, you know, I mean, it's a small town, there are always, there's always rumors of backbiting and things of that nature, but it's nothing really out of the ordinary. Well, I saw that you wrote that um, Tommy Valentine had some sharp words for, for Ovita Thornton in their race, is that uh, an ongoing argument between the two, or has that kind of simmered down? Uh, I think that's simmer down. You know, I, I don't think that was taken the way that um, the way that Tommy Valentine really expected it to. And you know, it's sort of a testament to how polite we are here at Athens that you can make a you know you can you could really you could you could really attack somebody strictly on policy and you're still considered to be rude, uh, which is kind of incredible to me. You know, I wish we could actually debate the issues um, in, in starker terms than we do, but people are always kind of tiptoeing around everything. You know, they don't want to make anybody mad. Is that what that difference was between Tommy and Ovita? It was a, a purely policy issue? Yeah, I mean, he was basically pointing out the differences in what they believe in. You know, he was pointing out the differences in their platform. And that, uh, <laughs> that got some folks riled up. I guess you can't do that. <laughs> Uh, the other uh, funny tidbit I saw um, or I heard about is apparently Russell Edwards uh, saved a woman's life on the campaign trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a pretty incredible story. He was uh, he was going door to door in Five Points, which is you know sort of a ritzy older neighborhood, you know, kind of the buckhead of Athens, I guess you would say. And a woman apparently came out of her house and she was choking and she was trying to get someone to help her. And Russell just happened to be standing in her front lawn. And uh, he knew how to do the howling maneuver, so he did the howling maneuver and, and saved this woman's life. How about that? <laughs> yeah, that that one's one that I think. Will <laughs> I mean, probably... who said who said politicians are all low down crooks? I mean, come on, yeah. politician did something good for once. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, one final commission, or one final question on the commission races. So, so with some of these that are more personality than policy, it sounds like. You know, is the commission going to kind of be status quo coming out of this election, or or is there also a chance that the commission could move in a fundamentally different direction um, than it's been in recent years? Well, the commission really could move in a in a different direction. There are a couple of races in particular uh, where this could happen, and one of them is uh, in a in a kind of a more conservative rural district 
where the incumbent, I think, is fairly is conservative by Athens standards and has a more progressive candidate named uh, Patrick Davenport uh, running against her. Uh, her name is Sharon Dickerson. And then in District 2, which is a majority black district, uh, urban district, um, that's that Harry Sims actually represented, uh, has a more traditional candidate who uh, Taylor Pass, who's the, the grandson of uh, uh, one of Athens' most prominent civil rights leaders, uh, Evelyn Neely. You know, so he's from a very prominent black family, goes to a uh, very uh, politically connected church, you know, things of that nature. And uh, there's a, a, a candidate running against him named Mariah Parker, who is just the total opposite. You know, she's she's only lived in Athens for six years. She's a firebrand, you know, very far to the left. Uh, she's actually a, a, a really good rapper. She's a hip hop artist uh, or who goes by the uh, the name of Lingua Franca, and she's a, a PhD student in linguistics at the University of Georgia. Uh, so those are two races where you could really see uh, the commission definitely moving um, further to the left. But how much would it matter? I don't know. I think we already have a progressive commission. There's definitely a progressive majority. They just don't have anything to vote for because the mayor doesn't put anything on the agenda. So I think if Kelly Gertz is the mayor, you know, it probably doesn't really matter that much. I think there are the votes to enact Kelly Gertz's agenda uh, regardless. All righty. Well, um, so th- these elections are on May 22nd, right? Um, and, and for our listeners, that's the primary day for your, your statewide and state legislative races. That'll be the general election in Athens. Um, well, Blake, thank you so much for, for joining us the show and for helping us understand uh, the wild and crazy world of Athens politics. Thank you for having me. And thanks again to Blake Odd for joining us. So now I will turn it over to Ethan Pham, a Democratic candidate for Congress. All right. So we're now joined by Ethan Pham. He's running for the Democratic nomination in the 7th Congressional District. Ethan, thank you so much for joining the show. Kyle, thank you so much for uh, giving me this opportunity to be on the show. Um, so could you just start by telling us a little bit about your background and why you want to be a member of Congress from Georgia? Sure. Um, my wife and I live here in Duluth. Um, we are uh, employers here in, the, in Duluth, um, and uh, I came here when I was 11. My dad and granddad uh, fought for the South Vietnamese military during the Vietnam War, uh, and uh, after the war, they, um, you know, my dad was imprisoned, um, and when he got out of the prison, he started doing the paperwork to get, get us to America. Um, I came here in 1994. I was 11. My brother was four. Um, my sister was a newborn baby. Uh, and, uh, you know, we struggled, we, but we, we worked hard, and, and we had some assistance uh, from the social safety net. Um, and 25 years later, my sister is now a registered nurse. My brother is a captain in the U.S. Air Force, and that's for myself. I worked my way through college as, uh, college as a waiter and then became a software developer, and then I decided to go to law school uh, in, in 2010. Uh, and uh, became a city attorney. Uh, and about a year and a half ago, my wife and I decided to team up uh, and o- open up our own law firm here in Winnett County. So, you know, we're not a, my family, we're not rich, we're not wealthy, but uh, this country has give, given us a whole lot, you know, and you know, it's been, uh, it's given us a lot of opportunity to make a better life for ourselves. And, uh, and so I'm running for Congress to make sure that those same opportunities uh, remain available for all Americans, regardless of who they are. Uh, and, uh, and so in order to do that, we have to have unity in the country. Right now, there's just a lot of division in the country. You know, too many people are trying to divide us. 
And so we have to come together and, and, and you know, to work for the benefit of, of the country. Uh, and, uh, and so that's why I'm running for Congress. Um, so Congress spent much of 2017 attempting to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. They ultimately failed in that endeavor, but they left a health care system with rising premiums and deductibles and have done little to address the opioid epidemic going on in certain regions of the country. Um, so if you were a member of Congress, what would you like to be what would you like to see done on the issue of health care? Right. So health care costs are rising. Um, the, you know, they've been rising um, in the past few years. And my wife and I were, were young and we're healthy, yet we're having to pay an outrageous amount of money per month. And, you know, I just can't Im- imagine what a family of, of, of four or five are paying. And so we need, to, we need to do everything we can to contain the cost of health care. Um, look, um, Obamacare was not a perfect law, but I thought it was a good law. And, and you know, we could have worked upon it. We could have improved upon it. But instead of, of, of doing that, you know, our leaders have been working hard to try to repeal it. And so that has left a lot of uncertainty in the marketplace. And so that's what's, what's causing this, this, you know, this problem in the um, uh, healthcare system. And that's, that's part of the reason that, that, uh, that the cost has gone, uh, gone up so high. And so when I'm up there in Congress, I want to expand Medicaid in all 50 states okay, as envisioned un- under Obamacare. Um, that's that's one of the things that I'll, I'll propose uh, in order to help contain the cost. I want to uh, make sure that uh, that Medicare can negotiate directly with the pharmaceutical companies, right? And so right now Medicare can't, Medicare can't do that. So so that's what I'll do um, when I'm up there in Congress to propose legislation to to, to allow Medicare to propose uh, to I'm sorry to directly negotiate with the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, and third, I want to lower the age of Medicare eligibility from 65 down to 60. That's another thing that we can do. And, and fourth, we can, um, you know, I want to introduce legislation to have a, a public option to allow people to, uh, to buy into Medicare to, uh, so, you know, um, and I think do, by doing all these things, um, that'll help uh, lower the cost of healthcare for, for people in District 7, not just in District 7, but, but uh, all over the country. Uh, in addition, I want to have more funding for health centers to deal with, with the opioid crisis. Um, that is an, uh, an issue that is plaguing our country and it's, it's plaguing District 7. We have a lot of uh, residents here in District 7 that, that are victims of, of this crisis. And so that needs to be properly addressed and we need to have more funding to, for the health centers to help address these, these issues. Um, so one thing that congressional Republicans could support could point to as a legislative success from last year was the passage of the tax cuts uh, late last year. Are there changes that you would like to see to last year's tax law? And if so, what changes would you support? The tax law that was, um, you know, passed and signed into law by the president last year um, really did nothing for the average American. Um, We, we need, we can't be in a position where we pass, tax cuts for the, the top one percenters. Uh, these massive corporations have been, you know, they're they're benefiting greatly from the tax cut, but that's coming at the expense of regular people like us. We, we can't, you know, we, we cannot allow that to happen. With, look, the tax bill that was, that was um, you know, signed into law by the president, that's going to cause, it's estimated to, to cause a uh, $1.5 trillion deficit to the budget and, and um, you know, it's it's an example of uh, the big companies making the rules 
at the expense of the regular, um, the average American. And so we cannot have a system that, that continues to, um, you know, to, to benefit those at the top and, and, and at the, to the detriment of uh, the average American. So you're one of at least 25 first-generation Americans running for Congress in this cycle. A, a lot of immigrants are running uh, because of the rhetoric and the policies that have come from President Trump, both on the campaign trail and since he's ascended to the White House. Um, so I'm just curious, what what does this moment sort of mean to you to be a part of this group of first generation candidates that are running for office in this time we're living in? You know, Kyle, um, part of the reason I'm running for Congress is, is because I <clears throat> truly believe that um, our democracy is being undermined. You know, aside from from us being attacked by the Russians during the 2016 elections, we have an American president who is uh, doing things and saying things to undermine our democracy. And that is dangerous. That is very dangerous. Uh, as someone who was born and raised under oppression, you know, I told you earlier that I, I didn't come here until I was 11. I know the cold hand of, of oppression. I know what it's like to live in a country where, um, you know, there is no democratic norm. You know, the, people, the leaders don't observe uh, norms that, that, um, uh, that are dem- democratic. We have an American president now who has called the president enemy of the American people. We have an American president who has brought his children into the administration to run the government. We have an American president who um, has bashed our judges who are members of an independent judiciary in our system of government. And we have an American president who has fired prosecutors in charge of investigating him. Okay, these are things that are normally reserved for dictators and authoritarians around the world. Okay, It's, 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 it's extremely dangerous to... Um, to have an American president who is doing all these things and, and to have a Congress who is not standing up to him. That is dangerous. Look, my family did not leave one authoritarian regime to go live in another. Okay. And, and so, um, I am, I am sad by the stat, I'm saddened by the, by the, the, uh, the current situation in the country. Um, uh, but yet at the same time, I'm, I'm proud to be a part of this new generation of Americans standing up and and fighting for the values that made our country great. So another new generation of Americans that has been standing up um, have been young people in the wake of the Parkland shooting in Florida and and in a response to other mass shooting deaths across the country. Um, Are there changes to gun laws that you would like to see happen uh, that you would support if you became a member of Congress? Absolutely. You know, my wife and I, we we are responsible gun owners. As a, as a matter of fact, we are concealed carry permit holders. My entire family, we're in farming. We live in rural areas. You know, they own guns for personal protection. But we understand that we have to do more in order to, to keep our children safe and, and to, to save innocent lives. Look, we can't have a situation where our kids are being slaughtered day in, day out. You know, it seems like every single week. There's a mass shooting worse than the last. And all we get from our elected officials are thoughts and prayers after thoughts and prayers. I'm sick and tired of that. You know, we need, we need to do more. I, we live in a first world country. We don't live in, in the battlefield that was Vietnam or Afghanistan anymore. We have to do more to, to save our, our, our kids, to keep, uh, keep our, our kids safe. And, and we can begin by requiring universal background checks. We can begin by banning bump stops. And I want to ban military-style assault rifles, you know, AR-15s and, and AK-47s. We really don't need to have those 
military-style assault rifles on the streets of America, okay? Like I said, we need to do more to protect our kids. And, and I've been very proud of the fact that our students have been organizing to, to fight for their safety. But at the same time, I mean, I've, I've been very um, – I'm sad. I feel very sad because of the fact that um, uh, we as adults have failed our kids. Because we failed them, our elected officials have failed them. They've had to – take it upon themselves to stand up and march and organize, you know, those, those, those um, uh, marches that have been taking place all over the country. You know, they've had to march for their, their safety. They've been, they've been having to do that because we failed them. And so having said that, I've been very proud of, of what they've been able to accomplish. They have been able to take the narrative on the gun debate out of the hands of the, of the NRA. You know, no one has been able to do that until now, and our kids have successfully done it. They are now in charge of this gun debate, and and we need to uh, to come together and and and, and help our, our our young adults organize and and to make sure that this momentum remains in place. Uh, and so, um, you know, these are some of the things that we can do to uh, to address the gun issue. Um, so recently, Gwinnett County released a transit plan, and the state legislature set up. Um, a governance body that would hopefully enable uh, the expansion of mass transit in the Atlanta region. Um, so what were your thoughts on the plan released in Gwinnett and what would your role be as it relates to this issue of transit um, in the Atlanta area if you were to be serving in Congress? Sure. So I happen to serve uh, on the Gwinnett County Transit Advisory Board uh, and uh you know, it is my opinion that we need to expand um, mass transit into the district, into District 7. Um, we need to have our district be connected to uh, the rest of the region. Not only is it going to, uh, you know, help ease traffic congestion uh, in this area, but it's also going to bring jobs to this area. We have a lot of uh, um, companies, big companies that have cited the lack of, of mass transit or public transit. Uh, in the area as a reason for them moving out of the, the district. And, and, and so, you know, as I, as I said earlier, you know, if, if we expand mass transit into the area, we can, we can help bring jobs here and we can help ease the traffic congestion. Uh, as congressman, um, I will work, I will do my best to make sure that, you know, there's federal dollars coming home to, to help us expand, you know, rail into the district to, to, to help address this issue. Uh, so that's, that's what I'll do when I'm up in Washington, D.C. Um, so if you were to win this race, uh, you would be a part of a new group of Democrats coming to Washington, and it would probably be a pretty good sign that Democrats have taken over the House of Representatives in Congress. Um, so if you were to be a member of Congress, what kind of qualities of leadership would you look for in the next Speaker of the House and uh, the leader of the Democrats in the lower chamber? The leadership of a country sets the tone for the rest of the country, um, just like the leadership of any organization sets the tone for the rest of that organization. I want the kind of leadership that will set a good tone for the country in terms of, you know, from, from health care to immigration to race relations. Um, I want a leader that will unify uh, the American people. You know, we, we need to be, as leaders, as, as, as elected leaders, we need to be working hard to bring people together instead of dividing people. Uh, right now, we have uh, leaders in government, uh, especially from one particular uh, political party, you know, who seem to be working, doing their best to divide people. 
And we cannot have that. That's unacceptable. We live in a multicultural, multi-ethnic country. And so as leaders, we need to be working hard to bring people together and not be dividing them. And we also need to have leaders who will stand up to the president because, you know, this, the idea of, of democracy and, and, and freedom, those ideas are very important to me. And when we have an American president who, who does things and say things, who says things that are antithetical to the founding principles of this nation, and, and we have leaders in Congress who won't, who won't stand up to him, that, that's, that's really discouraging to me. So um, I want a leader who will have the spine to stand up and speak out against this president whenever he acts in ways that are contrary to, to our uh, principles. Uh, that's the kind of leader I want. And so do you think that uh, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has those qualities that you were talking about, or would you be looking uh, to vote for somebody else to lead the Democrats in the House? So, you know, Nancy Pelosi was a good leader when she was in, in the House, right? She, she, she was a good leader. Um, but at this point, I'm focused on my race, Kyle, and, and um, you know, I'm very focused on, on my race right now, and uh, that's all I'm concerned about. I'm, I'm not thinking about who's going to be the next leader in, in the House or anything like that at this point. Um, and, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, and then one final question. Um, so what sets you apart from your fellow Democrats in this primary race? You know, I think as an elected official, especially when you're up in Congress, you, you have to vote on legislation and you have to propose legislation. And a lot of times that boils down to judgment. Okay? That boils down to judgment. And, um, you know, the judgment that, that you that you make uh, comes from your experiences in life. And if you look at my background, if you look at my upbringing, and, and if you look at my professional and, and, and uh, if you look at my professional career, um, before I went to law school, I was, I was a software developer. Um, and then um, I got an, I became an entrepreneur. I bought, I bought a chicken farm to help my family. Uh, and then now my wife and I, we run a law firm with six employees, and none of whom are paid less than $15 an hour. Okay. In addition, uh, I was a city attorney before I, I teamed up with my wife to open up our own law firm. So I have I, not only do I have that private sector experience, I also have the public sector experience. And so because of my background, uh, both in the private sector and the public sector, that will make me a um, an effective representative for the people of District 7. And, and I don't think anybody else in the race uh, has those qualifications. Uh, and so that's why, that's what sets me apart from the other candidates that are running. And anything else that we missed that you'd like to touch on before we go? Well, the primary is on May 22nd. You know, we're in a strong position, but we continue to need uh, your help uh, and the help of everyone out there listening to your wonderful program. Uh, they can check me out online at EthanFamForCongress.com. My last name is spelled P-H-A-M, so EthanFamForCongress.com. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, once again, I truly believe that our democracy is at stake, and, and I hope you'll join me to, to take it back and to make sure that our country gets back on the right path uh, and uh, to set a good tone for, for the country. And uh, I hope uh, you and your listeners will join the family. All right. <laughs> All righty. Well, Ethan, thank you so much for joining the show and uh, best of luck in your race. Kyle, thank you so much for this opportunity. Have a wonderful evening. 
And thank you again to Ethan Pham for telling us a little bit about your campaign. Um, so now I'm going to turn it over to Twitty Titus. Uh, we had a conversation about her race to become the next state representative from House District 173. All right, so I'm now joined by Twitty Titus. She's a Democrat running for House District 173 against Darlene Taylor in Thomasville. Uh, Twitty, thanks for uh, joining the show. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to a, a, a good, rich conversation. So could you start off by just telling us a little bit about your background and what you were doing before you decided to run for this House District? Well, sure. I'm in a very interesting position in the, in the short run and the long run. Um, I am running now because I really have a very strong feeling that Southwest Georgia is at a crossroads. And my feelings are uh, undergirded by the actual research from the Georgia Chamber of Commerce showing that we're in decline. We're losing people and money and jobs and hospitals. So I feel like this is a moment when we have to change that trajectory or in the next decade or so, we're going into irreversible decline. And so um, my family has lived here since the 1830s. And interestingly enough, in every generation, somebody in the Titus family or in our ancestors has served in the capacity of, of caring for and nurturing and looking out for this part of the state. So kind of a legacy, a welcome duty, you might say, but also I feel like the timing right now makes it imperative that that we stand up and speak out and really take charge of the next decade. So I, my background is that, um, like lots of people, I have a very diverse background. I am currently the executive director of Woodley Senior Care, which is a community caring for senior citizens. And I came from a family that socialized regularly with everybody from the 90-somethings right down to the newborn babies. So um, that multi-generational look at life is second nature to me. And uh, the reason I'm really relating to that is that in the last few years, I've gotten two beautiful little granddaughters. So Bella and Ariana and all the other little Bellas and Arianas of their generation are very much in my heart and mind. So I feel like that if we take take um, control of the situation and create new balance and redirect our um, focus, that their lives will be much better. And that if we don't, their lives can suffer because of our selfishness and denial of reality at this point. So um, I came... Academically, I started out as a dental professional a very long time ago, but um, I have since gone into marketing and branding and was a consultant nationally for um, professionals and then wound up being invited to take over Woodleaf. So I'm now taking care of the the, the 90-somethings. And could you tell us a little bit about what your district is like and, and some of the challenges mm-hmm. that your district is facing that uh, encouraged you to jump into this race? I sure can. Um, one of the biggest problems that we have here is economic decline. Our district is uh, predominantly rural. 
Thomasville is doing fairly well, but as we go west into Cairo and Bainbridge, they are struggling. They are losing. We're all this entire district is losing businesses. And five years ago, Thomasville lost Southwestern State Regional Hospital, which meant that 600 good jobs and all the collateral economic benefit that that brought to our region was lost in one swoop. And if you go far west in our district to Decatur County, their hospital is struggling for survival. So our our hospital health care systems are in a crisis. And that's one area where I feel like we cannot delay. We've got opioid challenges. We have our judicial system overwhelmed by mentally ill people. So something has to be done to address preventive care and primary care and the the basic health needs of all the rural people in our area. So I'm very concerned about health care in our area, with particular emphasis on mental health care. We also have um, great opportunities. We have a beautiful, beautiful region with a lot of natural resources and natural beauty. So if we capitalize on that and promote it and market it, I think that can be a really delightful input into our economy and our quality of life. We also have an opportunity here to attract the movie industry. That's an area where Georgia is already doing some creative and beneficial things. So one of the things I'd like to do is actively and intelligently recruit the film industry to southwest Georgia. So there are a number of things. Education is another critical thing. Our third graders cannot read at a third grade level. And uh, I'm very committed to helping every single child have an opportunity to have a top-quality five-star education. Basically, we're looking at a 5,000-piece puzzle because if we don't have a great lifestyle, um, if we don't have an educated workforce, and we don't have health care for that wonderful workforce, none of the other contingencies can succeed. So I see it as kind of a chain-link fence of need and opportunity. So we would like to think that our millennials and Generation Z would have attractive jobs, um, a high-quality, inclusive, and diverse lifestyle, and would want to return here, which I think would then enhance the probability of of, of good industries and high-quality work opportunities settling here and growing. So one of those big challenges is the issue of health care. And in our show, we've talked mm-hmm. a lot about uh, the efforts the state has made um, to try to address this issue and, and where the mm-hmm. state has fallen short. Um, so there are, are mm-hmm. there specific things that you think the state should be doing to address mm-hmm. a lack of access to health care in rural Georgia? I sure do think that the most obvious and straightforward answer is to take advantage of the money that's on the table and forfeited to expand Medicaid to provide insurance for the working class Georgians that are in that coverage gap. There are all kinds of band-aids being suggested. There's a there's a tax credit for donations to hospitals. And that's fine. That's good. I'm glad that's out there. 
But what we're not doing is taking advantage of the billions of dollars that are on the table now and being forfeited by not expanding Medicaid. I specifically support that one action. The hospitals that close are losing for every one hospital job. There are two other jobs created in a community. But unfortunately, that means every time one hospital job is lost, that community loses two hospital jobs. So the biggest crunch is being is that uncompensated care that rural hospitals are facing. So to me, it's um, hard to explain why you would not take advantage of expanding the Medicaid opportunity for working, you know, for, for blue-collar working Georgians. We're all paying our taxes toward closing the coverage gap, and yet our leaders have refused billions of dollars for desperately needed medical services. So that's something I feel very strongly about. We, we just need to do it. There's no sensible financial or, um, or humane reason not to do it. Another issue that uh, got a lot of discussion and had some legislation come out of it at the legislature this session was the issue of rural broadband. Um, The legislature Mm -hmm. passed a measure that really aimed to expand broadband by making it easier for existing companies like AT&T and Mm -hmm. Comcast to extend Mm -hmm. services. Um, Do you think that that's the right path forward or do you think that there's a more active role for government Um, to secure broadband access for rural Georgians? I think the government needs to do all that is possible. I'd like to see fiber optic um, broadband made available to every Georgian with distributive hotspots. And I think that, that the government needs to undergird that in the most assertive possible way. I don't think that just making it the, the, the right of way available to private companies goes nearly far enough. You cannot function in a 21st century economy without a really high quality uh, broadband available to every single person. So yes, I think the government needs to take an assertive and supportive role in that area and that we need to do the highest quality version of it too. Um, So one of the primary focuses of the current House Speaker, David Ralston, has been a Rural Development Council study committee. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you seen anything out of that study committee or any of the legislation that's come out of that that you think is adequately addressing the challenges of rural Georgia? Or where do you think it's missing the mark? Well, I've I've read that and there are good ideas. But what I fail to see is an actual plan. What is the plan and how is it going to be funded? So, yes, it looks good on paper, but I think it, that we've got to actually allocate people's brain power and funds to bring those good ideas to fruition. Um, I hear a lot about how this area is poised to boom, but I don't really see what kind of structural underpinnings that nice statement has. So I I really think it needs to be brought into nuts and bolts and planning and dollars and people to make it happen. So I I think it's a a start. At least they're putting some focus on rural Georgia, and they have put together a group. But 
I don't think it has gone to the point where we can expect to see it come to full bloom without a lot more uh, meat on, on those bones. Uh, another issue that's made headlines nationally and around the state has been um, an ongoing straight uh, ongoing trade dispute between uh, President mm-hmm, Trump's mm-hmm. administration and China. And there's a lot of yep. concern among farmers across the country about yep. the impact of this trade dispute on on them. Are you getting feedback about uh, mm-hmm. this trade policy from people in your district or in other places in South Georgia? And uh, what are their concerns? Their concerns are that pecans, pork, and soybeans are going to be negatively affected. Right now, that's a, those are big crops that are are a big part of the Southwest Georgia economy. For example, 20% of the U.S. pecan production is exported to China, and they've just increased the tariffs on pork by 25%. China buys 61% of all the U.S. soybean exports. So this could actually crush the agricultural community in southwest Georgia. So those three things alone, pecans, pork, and soybeans, could actually cut our farmers off at the knees. I think it's very reckless, and it's it's very frightening to, to live in this part of the country and talk to farmers and see that they expect their profits to be eaten up by, you know, falling sales. So, yes, this is seriously important, and I think it's a negative that the current administration has inflicted on our southwest Georgia farmers. So, you know, it's hard to imagine anything more critical. It needs to go away. They need to not have this trade war. That's what needs to happen. They need to open it back up for free trade and negotiate much more strategically to accomplish any goals that are important. Um, Another thing that I saw on your website uh, that I thought was interesting was uh, trying to entice millennials, and you talked about Generation Z too, trying to bring them Mm -hmm. back into Southwest Georgia and rural Georgia. Mm -hmm. Um, What do Mm -hmm. you think are some good ways to do that? And, And are those things the legislature should be doing? Or is that more of a local issue? Well, I think it is a local issue in that the ultimate control will will be borne out of local decision makers. But what we know from solid research and personal experience is that these millennials and Generation Z folks are looking for a lifestyle that includes nightlife, recreation, parks, bike trails. Um, they are looking for an inclusive culture and a diverse culture. So, as I said on my website and I've said publicly, we cannot move forward with a 1950s mindset and move into the 21st century. Um, They have got to have a place that they want to live. Those young people, and I'm older than they are, so for me, they're young people. Those young people basically choose where they want to live and then figure out how to live there. So we have to invest in some place-making to make Thomasville, Cairo, Bainbridge, and the surrounding communities attractive to the lifestyle that these young people demand. And I I think the legislature can impact that by doing things like we've talked about, by creating a a strong, robust health care system and 
an economy that can afford to do some of the amenities that these young people require. So, you know, they, my, I have children that age, and I know that they look at a lifestyle and they say, that's a place I would not want to live, or that's a place that I would love to live. And then they back into now, how can I get that career going and move to that place? So it it is interconnected, but not perhaps in the most direct way. On the other hand, things like recruiting the film industry here would automatically pull in some of those creative and entrepreneurial young people. Then they are magnets for other collateral businesses and creative young people. I'd like to see us invest in things like makers makers spaces and uh, workspaces where people with creative ideas will have a place to go and sort of try them out. So I think Thomasville's done well in for a town of 20,000. We do have some very delightful and attractive kinds of arts and um, theater and outdoor recreation, but more can be done. And I think that's that's where we have to put our emphasis if we're going to move forward and keep our young people and keep enjoying a multi-generational lifestyle. And part of it is just that I love my children and grandchildren, and I know every all of my friends and family do as well. We would not like to see all of those young people move to urban centers and move away from rural rural centers like Thomasville, Bainbridge, and um, Cairo and all the, the even smaller towns around them. So the legislature will have an impact in how well they support economic development and medical care and education. And then as it filters down to the, to the local level, we have to choose how to invest in people and quality of life that, that will potentiate those other decisions. We're at a moment in our politics where there's a record number of women running for office, both uh, mm-hmm. here in our state and, and nationwide. Um, mm-hmm. Do you do you feel connected to that? And, and can you describe mm-hmm. what it's like to to run for office and be a part of this uh, movement of women candidates running? I absolutely do. In fact, I recently um, reviewed my own personal history, and I, I realized I started in the late 60s as one of the pioneers for uh, feminist justice. I'm very connected to the concepts of uh, women's equality. Um, I think it's very important for uh, women to have a voice. I think right now we have, you know, a heavily weighted male perspective on our state legislative issues. And I think that that women bring a critical sort of collaborative view to 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 everything, but particularly to our legislature. And I think women right now feel very strongly that it's time for us to have that voice and to um, band together. I went to the Women's March in Washington in January, where there were seven hundred and fifty thousand women to join together to say we demand and expect that our worldview be taken into account, that we be involved in the legislative decisions that affect our lives and the lives of our families. So it's very important to me. Um, I'm a feminist, and what I mean by that is 
that I don't think there are any exceptions to opportunities for STEM education, sports, legal protection, equal pay, reproductive right controlled by the women that they choose, the women and the people they might choose to include in that decision. So I'm a mother of three daughters. I'm a grandmother of two granddaughters. So, yes, I feel intimately connected at the heart and mind to the issues that women are bringing to the forefront right now. I mean, are there any other important issues that we've missed so far that you wanted to touch on? Well, I think we've touched on some of the most important ones. Um, and, uh, you know, health care, jobs in the economy, women's issues, family issues, and attracting and sustaining the presence of our beloved millennials and Z generation. So, uh, and, and I, I have said also that I think, you know, we need to really focus on the environment. So that is probably an area we haven't talked about. Um, I came from a family who um, included a, a naturalist father and a conservationist father. And I think it's very important that we address issues of, of climate disruption. That, again, ties into our agricultural economic input and the success of our farmers. So I think and water issues come under that. You know, we're dealing with some real important um, decisions being made about how Georgians consume water. So I think probably the one area that I would like to focus on that we didn't really talk a lot about is sustainable practices involving environment and uh, water and land use. We've got to be very intelligent about it. And I'm not in denial about the reality of climate disruption. I think we are at a tipping point there. So I think what happens next will be really, really important to all of our Georgia citizens and particularly our farm families. So I think that's that's an area I want to put in the spotlight. Well, if people would like to learn more about your campaign, how can they do that? Well, I invite them to take a look at our website, TwittyTitus.com, and to connect to our Facebook page, Twitty Titus. And I also would love for them to call me or send me an email. I'm doing a lot of going one-to-one and in small groups and talking and listening. So um, if someone has concerns and issues that we have not addressed today or that they want to go deeper on, I warmly welcome them to contact me. You can contact me through uh, Twitty at TwittyTitus.com. You can call me. on. There's a there's a published phone number, and I'll get back to you. We'll sit knee to knee and eye to eye and talk over whatever's in your heart and mind. Um, I, am, I am just like most Georgians. I've raised a family. Um, a good bit of it has been as a single mom. I work every day to pay my bills. I have no products to sell to the Georgia voters, and there are no lobbyists that can win my heart because I don't have anything that they need to lobby me on. So I'm just literally there to try to make things better as we move forward into the next decade and into the generations that are coming after me. So call me, text me, email me. We'll sit down and talk. I'm here for you. Alrighty, well, Twitty, thank you so much for joining the show and uh, keep us up to date about how the campaign is going.
I surely will. And thank you so much for having me. I look forward to to the, the next chapter. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. Until then, take care, y'all. Oh, 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 oh,